So with more education, I hope and I'm looking forward to the day when the producer is going to get the value that that they deserve um, and that they put into producing such a nice product. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Regarded as the world's most loved mollusk, oysters of all varieties, regions and seasons continue to capture the mouths, hearts and minds of the modern diner like never before. The famous French dramatist Cyrano de Bergerac once claimed, a large nose is the mark of a witty, courteous, affable, generous and oyster-loving man. And I should know. Surely there is no other seafood that captures the imagination, polarises the palate and causes as much consternation amongst buyers, consumers and critics as the oyster. Worldwide production of oysters is around 45 million dozen with a market value of approximately $3.5 billion. The popularity of oysters has waxed and waned over the years, but they've never gone out of fashion with the true seafood aficionado, who recognises that the oyster, above all seafood, offers a true reflection not only of the variety and season of its marine terroir, but of the grower's husbandry and skills. Julie Q is an international oyster expert and founder of Inner Half Shell, an oyster appreciation website. Based in Brooklyn, New York, Julie shares her knowledge and love of half-shell culture through masterclasses, bespoke events, original digital content, and products designed for like-minded oyster enthusiasts. Inner Half-Shell has become the world's preeminent place for oyster celebration. Julie has become infatuated by all things oyster, from growing to eating and everything in between. She's a great mate and a fellow oyster aficionado. My name is Julie Chu. I am a self-described oyster sommelier, oyster enthusiast, longtime oyster blogger, um, based in Brooklyn, New York, although I will travel anywhere for a good oyster. And I'm also, I guess, the marketing director for Australis Aquaculture. I've always loved seafood, so I was born in Shanghai, and my entire family is Chinese, and of course, uh, seafood is a huge part of Shanghainese cuisine. So I've always uh, grown up eating weird things <laughs> and uh, had a love of shellfish since a very young age. It wasn't until I was a teenager when I was exposed to my first raw oyster. I remember it being in San Diego. We were visiting my cool uncle there. And being a fancy teenager, I decided to order two dozen raw oysters for the table. The first, uh, you know, my the first time I've ever done such a thing. And I just remember liking some of them and very much disliking others. And that experience sort of just carried with me up until moving to New York City like a decade later and being reintroduced to the oyster again in, in the city. And I think uh, at the time, I was really interested in learning more about where my food came from, particularly seafood. And oysters just really caught my imagination in a way that other foods did not. Um, fortunately, there was a really good book that was out there, A Geography of Oysters by Rowan Jacobson. I, I read that. There was a New York Oyster Lovers meetup group that I joined. So there was a community around oyster lovers. And then I also had an amazing opportunity to travel the world for a business in which where I decided to, you know, go out and try as many oysters as I could during my, my off hours. So I think a combination of that sort of led me to 
discover the possibilities that oysters embody um, from being just a, a really delicious food to kind of this entire ecosystem of producers and chefs and suppliers and around sustainability and health and all the great things. So I guess that is a, a long-winded way of kind of capturing why I love them so much. There's just so much to talk about and so many good things that they do. With the renaissance in popularity of oysters, a whole new world of oyster appreciation has been spawned. Wine-like devotees are now part of the culinary landscape. Oyster appreciation, at least in New York City, was really bubbling up by the time I, I got to the city, and that was in the mid-2000s. Um, you know, there, there were more producers coming online, offering more varieties into the market, and chefs were really interested in being able to tell stories about the different oyster varieties. So I think you had the supply kind of grow, grow up and become more, more prevalent. And then you had also um, these culinary storytellers that wanted to expose consumers to, you know, this is just more than a location. You can actually meet the person who is growing this oyster. And then, um, so that, that is the baseline. And then when I decided to start in a half shell, I don't think there was many people really looking at oysters the same way they do with wine. Um, it, w it wasn't very prevalent online. I couldn't search for anything like that. So I decided to start my own little oyster tasting journal and, and blog about it. Um, and so the idea of miroir was still relatively new then, but today I feel like basically every food media company <laughs> talks about miroir and talks about the different nuances in regions and flavors and tastes, um, but then still also tying it back to this incredible story about sustainability and, uh, you know, resiliency in the industry. Uh, today, I think oyster appreciation does vary around the world. You know, last year I embarked on this, um, I guess a, a webcast where I was interviewing people from different countries about oyster production, oyster consumption in in their location. And in, I think the commonality is that there is so much interest around this product and ingredient, um, but there's just a wide range of accessibilities around different varieties, how to get things to market, what people understand about why they taste the way they do. Um, and that is in part by how much variety that they get exposed to as well. If you, if people really like oysters, they, they never, they usually don't think about oysters in the same way as we do with wine. There's not that much of a spectrum of variation or they, they weren't open or realize that. And I think when I put those two words together and truly this is something that uh, there is, I guess in, in French, there is a word that comes close, like a calier, but, you know, oyster sommelier is just a very quick way for me to help explain to someone that there's another world behind oysters that they didn't even realize, but they, I know that they will like. So they're very happy with it. And then start asking me a, a hundred questions, which I really love answering to. Well, In a Half Shell is a oyster blog for oyster lovers. So it is meant to provide anyone who is curious about oysters or really enthusiastic about oysters 
the inspiration and resources to up their half shell game, if you will. It all kind of started when I was just fumbling around on my own, trying to figure out what's what in the oyster world. And I figured I might as well just document what I'm learning. So that ranged anywhere from where to get great oysters in the cities that I visit to how to have oysters and enjoy oysters at home. Where do you buy them? How do you store them? Very practical things up into the different tasting notes and stories behind the farms. So all of that you can find on In a Half Shell. And I think most people actually go to my site really to debunk some some very prevalent myths out there about oysters. They really want to know, uh, you know, are oysters alive when I'm eating them? Or what is that strange crab in uh, the oyster? Can I eat it? Is it safe? Um, and just, you know, there's a lot of mystery around oysters and questions that when you Google, you get a, a lot of different answers, but hopefully I'm being able to tell them the real truth in a simple and fun way. Oyster farming is one of the oldest forms of agriculture known to man. It was practiced by the ancient Romans as early as the first century BC on the Italian peninsula. Oyster farming can be both high-tech and low-tech on both large and small-scale farms. Well, one of the first farms that I visited, and I just had absolutely no clue how you know, oysters were really grown, was on Martha's Vineyard uh, out by Cape Cod. And I happened to visit on seed planting day, which was a really pivotal day for all the farmers there. And it was just very interesting to get a sense of this isn't, you know, this isn't something that you just put into the water and just let it do its thing and then pluck it out when it's ready. It took so much time and energy to be able to nurture such a little teeny tiny baby oyster into a beautiful product at the end. So I think that was um, my, my first wow moment. And then following that, I had a chance to visit uh, a couple oyster farms in Ireland. And that really blew me away as well, being able to go out into the water with the producer, taking an oyster from the water, opening it up and just having it right there is really magical. Um, and it's a great experience uh, for anybody who really likes oysters to do. And so I think those two are, uh, you know, what I think about when I really uh, think about being wowed by oyster farmers. Every single oyster farm is a little different <laughs> from the next. So it definitely depends on the environment, uh, the resources, I guess, uh, labor and capital, um, and sort of the regulations around in place. So I've, I've visited uh, operations that are, I guess, what I would, I would call very old school, um, that they are just simply planting oyster seeds in traditional oyster uh, producing areas and then uh, harvesting them up when it's ready. Uh, massive volumes there. And then to the very, very small, but high-tech in a, uh, um, farms where they're employing really cutting edge uh, grow out systems and data systems to cultivate this, um, you know, very perfect and meticulous product. And they, I think they do, and outside of the U.S., they do vary quite a lot, too, in terms of grow out systems and just the overall approach to husbandry. Uh, there's markets like France and Australia 
that have been doing it for quite a long time. And there's definitely more process and rigor set in place. Whereas the newer places that are trying to do it are learning from the existing work that other markets have done, but they're still sort of figuring out what's going to work for them in their place. The oyster is the quintessential seafood that meets the contemporary culinary demands to a tea. Defining of its origin, it is unique and luxurious. Sweet, salty, rich and delicious. Exotic yet simple, the oyster reflects the mood of its environment on any given day, with flavour and condition literally subject to the weather, water and time of day when it was harvested. More than any other food, the oyster reflects not only its mechoir, but also its breeding and the skill of the farmer. Where wine bars became the temples of appreciation for wine connoisseurs, oyster bars are fast becoming the marine equivalent. Right. So, yeah, I guess I have been to a fair number of oyster bars. Um, in the traditional sense, oyster bars, at least in New York, they, they tended to be more like bar and grill type of concepts where the oyster name is put out front to lure people in, but it's not really like the oyster bar that I'm thinking about where their entire, you know, um, front of house is sort of catering to uh, glamorizing and showcasing the oyster in all its varieties. Um, the, the oyster bar that that speaks to, the one that is, I guess what I would call a boutique oyster bar or oyster-centric seafood restaurant. Um, there are a few of those around the world that do an amazing job. I think that there's then another tier where oysters are a good component of a seafood restaurant, but it's not sort of the front and center leading star. And then there's other places where they just love to have oysters on the menu because it's a fun, fun little social thing and it goes well with drinks. Um, and I think the th what I personally look for are the really high-end, uh, very knowledgeable oyster bars that is sort of supported by people who are just as nerdy and passionate about oysters as I am. You can tell by the way that they present the oyster, by the way that they talk about where the oysters are from, how it was grown, what was different this year versus the last, and just presented flawlessly on a platter. And that makes a world of difference to me. And I think it makes a huge difference in anybody's experience and especially their first impression of the oyster. In the US, I have, I guess, a top five uh, oyster bar destinations. Funny enough, my, one of my very favorite oyster bars is in a landlocked city. It's the Kimball House in Atlanta. Um, and they, you know, at least they're next to a big airport. So I think that's why they, they do what they, they can do. Uh, but they, you know, they have an incredible, uh, director of oyster situation. That is how he describes himself. Brian Rackley does an amazing job at sourcing well over two dozen varieties on the menu at any given time. They're open and presented flawlessly and the entire menu, the cocktails to the mains to the apps are um, truly amazing. Um, but that is one that I think I tell people, look, I know it's in Atlanta, but it is definitely worth going to. And in New York City, I definitely have my favorites. Um, I usually do a stop at Cole and Pistol. They're finally reopened. They were kind of under construction for a little bit. Uh, that's in the Chelsea Market. 
you know, um, everybody really loves to take their family and friends to Grand Central Oyster Bar when they come into town. It's such an iconic place to have oysters and to just feel feel like part of the old historic vibe. That's really cool. And then I also love Crave Fish Bar in the city because they're really focused on sustainable seafood and showcasing the story behind the different types of seafood. Um, internationally, I've been to definitely some amazing oyster places. Like in London, I remember, this was a, a long time ago though, Bentley's Oyster and Grill did a really nice job. Uh, open Oyster in Hong Kong with Gus is very fun and they have um, amazing wine pairings. Um, and then where else? I guess recently I found this amazing little oyster bar in Madrid where I was spending a good chunk of this year called Ostra Pradin, and it's fabulous. They showcase mostly local Spanish oysters and include a couple French as well. And there I really fell in love with the place, not just because it has a cool vibe, but one of the um, primary uh employees, Alfredo, he was so knowledgeable about each oyster and how they were produced, and that really helped me understand uh, the products that I was eating. Just as music festivals have become the communion of popular culture, with disciples happy to undertake long journeys for the simple pleasure of enjoying a single theme of appreciation, so too oyster festivals have become the vanguard of foodie gatherings. From Naruma to Wellfleet, the oyster festival is becoming the hottest ticket on the planet. In oyster festivals, I guess there are still two types in my head because a lot of the times the oyster festival is really a drinking festival disguised with a layer of oyster, <laughs> right? And then there's other festivals where it is truly about the oyster, the different ways you can uh, have, cook, prepare oysters, different varieties, um, and then talking about the story behind them. Ah, I've been to some really noteworthy ones in the US. Uh, everybody probably thinks of one of the iconic ones being Wellfleet uh, Oyster Fest that happens in the fall. That's a great one. That's a great party. It's also a beautiful space. Um, my favorite though in New York is the Billion Oyster Party. And that usually happens in the spring. We call it Oyster Prom because it's just a, a lot of oyster growers just getting together with New Yorkers and celebrating uh, New York Harbor and the great uh, work that they do to restore New York Harbor back to its glory days. Eating an oyster is a gastronomic experience unmatched by almost any other food. Like wine, the flavors and textures of an oyster are determined by the unique environmental attributes of the marine ecosystem in which the oysters are cultivated. Not only the environment, but the season, region, species and husbandry all have an impact on the final flavor and texture of an oyster. I always tell people there's really no wrong way to enjoy an oyster, <laughs> but you know, you can, you can do what you want, put accoutrements however you like. Uh, but for me, when I want to truly understand the essence and miroir of an oyster, I go through a pretty um, straightforward number of steps. First, there's no accoutrements. Uh, as a purist, I have nothing at all with the oyster. So you're just starting out with a freshly shucked oyster and I kind of for, take a moment to actually look at it, make sure that it's well hydrated. Um, you obviously eat with your eyes first, so that is an important step. If 
it's not hydrated. I tell people another quality check is, you know, if it looks like it's completely dehydrated, that it's stuck to the shell, probably ask for another one, probably open another one is a good idea. And then taking a whiff, oysters should smell a little sea breezy, nothing at all. Again, that's more for a quality check than uh, truly appreciating it. Sipping the liqueur is the next, and that is when you get your first exposure to the salinity and the uh, the light aroma that kind of goes with sipping in this, the seawater in the oyster. I love that stuff because it helps acclimate my palate to what to expect later on. Um, you also kind of get a sense of its environment through just the liqueur itself. Then slurping the oyster, making sure to chew it many times. I'm honestly not sure why people think that it's appropriate to just shoot back an oyster without chewing it. But I chew it a lot to get the nuanced flavors of the oyster out. Um, sometimes, you know, I immediately detect the these like savory notes. If it's in a plump Atlantic oyster, more vegetal notes in Pacific or Gigas oysters. Um, and then going through and in my mind, I actually start associating what I'm tasting to other foods that I've had. So a lot of times it goes towards mushroom and also some nuttiness like walnuts or almonds. Um, other times it's more metallic, like licking a side of a penny. Although I don't really lick any <laughs> pennies, but just imagining if I did. <laughs> uh, seaweed is a huge one that comes up. And then also some delightful, fruity, sweet, a little citrusy, crisp. Um, oh, and then, of course, another big side of this for me is actually the texture. So a lot of people shy away from the texture of oysters. They're a little, you know, they think that they're a little slimy, a little weird. But if a good oyster has beautiful texture, kind of like what you would expect maybe in a creme brulee or a poached egg, um, something that's very tender, but also quite chewy on, on like the adductor and the adductor muscle. And I love just playing around with the, oy uh, the oyster texture. And then after that, that's it. Uh, you just knock it back and flip over the shell so you can look at the, the uh, end of the shell and the cup side of the shell to admire some of the work that took many years <laughs> to produce. If there is a contemporary trend in food and beverage matching, it is the eternal quest for the perfect match for oysters. For some, it is the racy acidity of champagne. For others, it's the rich, savoury characteristics of stout. And then there are those for whom the smoky, peat and funky vegetal characteristics of a malt whiskey are the ultimate accompaniment to an oyster. Beverages, well, the classic is obviously a dry, crisp white wine that is the go-to or people will say a sparkling champagne uh, or any sparkling wine for that matter i personally gravitate to premium japanese sake with oysters and it's i think i might be a little biased because i have a very good friend who imports amazing sake into new york so i've been sort of spoiled by really good sake with seafood but there's um, sort of a chemical explanation for why they pair so well. And the reason being is uh, the combination of different food and drinks with uh, different types of amino acids will create 
an umami sensation on your palate. So sake actually has really high levels of glutamic acid and oysters are very high in inosinic acid. And together, those two, those two amino acids actually make up the majority of the umami sensation you experience on your palate. So when they're combined, it actually enhances it. Um, and that's why it tastes so delicious together. And they're very complementary. They never, they never fight each other on your palate. Like sometimes you can get with a wine and an oyster. One, one or the other wants to be the star in that situation. But I find that oysters and sake is a very good marriage. Other times, I guess I would m totally down to do oysters and whiskey, oysters and mezcal, oysters and gin. Um, but I'm also lightweight, so I try to stay clear from <laughs> imbibing too much of that. But those are also great. Oysters have many talents beyond their famed gastronomic qualities. Oysters also help coastal ecosystems in many different ways, from cleaning the water to sheltering other animals. Oysters are multi-talented marine warriors with an impressive bag of tricks up their calcareous sleeves. Their filter feeding improves water quality and nutrient cycling. The Billion Oyster Project in New York is taking advantage of the oyster's natural restorative qualities, restoring oyster reefs to New York Harbour in collaboration with the New York City communities. So Billion Oyster Project has been going on for probably uh, 10 years. I'm not exactly sure where they started, but Billion Oyster Project is a nonprofit organization that focuses on oyster reef restoration in the New York Harbour and educating the next generation about the importance of it and how to manage it. So it's a program that was started on the Harbor School, which is a public high school based on Governor's Island. It's a little island just kind of sort of between Manhattan and Brooklyn off the side. If I go down the street, I can actually see it uh, from the street. Um, and they teach high school kids how to raise oysters and how to scuba dive to maintain uh, oyster cages underwater and how to assess water quality. All these important skills that we absolutely need for, you know, the, the next generation of environmental stewards. And the Billion Oyster Project, its ambition is to restore one billion oysters in the next, I guess, next 50 years, or I'm not even sure what the timeline is anymore, but they're well on their way and they have definitely seen great results um, in the harbor. A great oyster experience can leave you in shock and awe, providing a memory of great people and great moments. A favorite oyster experience? Oh, I mean, there's so many. Um, I guess, I, I mean, I can't think of a ultimate, ultimate one, I, I suppose the appropriate answer is like my oyster toast at my wedding. <laughs> that was very special. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm really the happiest when I'm out exploring the oyster farm, really understanding where they come from, and then being able to take that knowledge back with me into an oyster bar near that farm or somewhere uh, that that sources from them and being able to also share that story with the friends uh, and family who I'm with. And at the end of the day, I think oysters, it's not just about the food, the, the food itself, but it's about the relationships that 
you can create around it. It's a food that you have, you definitely share with people um, that you can talk about with complete strangers. Um, and just knowing exactly like who you're supporting and where that food is coming from is a real privilege, I think, at least in the U.S., to be able to know where it's exactly uh, being raised and it doing so in a sustainable way. So the experience is, uh, it's, that's, I think, why it's so hard to think of just one oyster variety or oyster moment is that it's just a network of all these different, um, you know, great relationships, great people, great moments. For many, an epiphany can lead to a sudden intuitive perception of or insight into the reality or essential meaning of something. For some, it is the experience of an oyster that creates this sensation. So oysters changed my life in, I guess, a number of ways. I have my current job probably because of oysters. Um, before starting the blog, I was in the advertising industry as a brand strategist. And when I started developing this interest in oysters and sustainable seafood, that led me into wanting to uh, take my skills in brand branding and storytelling, design, marketing into this industry because there, there's definitely opportunities that I see where you know producers that are doing amazing things need a bit of help to get their story out and to change people's minds. Um, so in that way, I guess it's uh, it's generated my paycheck. <laughs> and then the other part of it, I think going back to people, I'm so grateful to the oysters and the oyster community for being very collaborative, very inviting and getting to meet people who I definitely would have not had the opportunity to meet um, and going places where I probably would have never thought to really go uh, had it not been for just a, a wild goose chase to go to a very remote oyster farm on the world. <laughs> With an ever-growing interest in oysters, from their species, provenance, history, and even grower, driven by an eager consumer with a thirst for knowledge and experience. The future of the oyster industry looks bright. With culinary storytellers like Julie Q leading the charge, it's exciting times ahead for all of those in the half shell. I think that, well, this is, this is more of like a hope and also a, a source of excitement and anticipation is that when there will, will be more consumers who become more educated about oysters and frankly more opportunities to share that uh, appreciation on social media like there's there's now also many more Instagrammers and many more um, uh, bloggers who are talking about oysters now that the general understanding of of oysters and where they come from and what dictates a good oyster from a bad oyster will evolve in the general consciousness. Right now, I feel like it's we're still in a place where farmers are not necessarily getting the value that they deserve, mostly because they're being pressured to, you know, sell their products for as as little money as possible. And I think you see that in a lot of markets where the product is considered a commodity, but it's, um, you know, completely opposite of that. So with more education, I hope and I'm looking forward to 
the the day when the producer is going to get the value that they're that they deserve um, and that they put into producing such a nice product and for people to realize that look there's um, there are different levels of oyster quality and oyster service in the industry that's still very emerging um, but I see good signs that it's going that direction. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.